Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Ayahuasca Sissi Therapy. And today I'm here with Derek Januszewski and I'm very excited to get to meet him. He has some good projects going and also have some great experience with the medicine and in this field. So I'm grateful that we were connected and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> So um, I always ask the same question from people at the beginning that how did you cross path with the medicine? We always talk about your call to this medicine. Uh, I know that a lot of people have great struggles, you know, who received this calling in the end and tried many things before, you know, we were led to the medicine. So if you want to share a little bit about your personal path. Sure. My path has been... Um... Uh, you know, it was started in trauma. When I was born, my mom almost died. Um, when I was young, I lived with my mother who was a belligerent, uh, abusive alcoholic. My father was gone. I lived in uh, Spring West Springfield, Massachusetts, which is a rough neighborhood, all Puerto Rican. So I didn't really fit in at all. I got beat up a lot. And I, I didn't feel like I fit in there. Uh, I remember all the way going back. Um, my my uh, childhood was littered with um, uh, all kinds of abuse. Uh, sexual abuse started at two. Um, had a lot of sexual abuse uh, between the ages of five and 10. Um, that's when my mom left West Springfield. We moved to a really rough part of uh, Jacksonville, Florida, where it was I was the only white kid in the whole school. Um, got beat up a lot there too. My mom's drinking progressed. Um, I continued to be uh, sexually abused there um, by a babysitter, a scoutmaster, and a physician's assistant, um, all separate, very unusual. Um, and uh, didn't feel like I fit in there either. From there, we moved to uh, the very corner of this really, really rich area of Florida where there's a trailer park and this like little, little spot, little corner. So I didn't fit in there either because everybody else was like really rich, really extremely wealthy. And, um, and you know, got to beat up there a little bit less. Um, and then my dad at that point got sober. He was uh, battling alcoholism and addiction. So he brought me up to Newburyport, Massachusetts, which is a North Shore coastal town, rich Irish Catholic alcoholic, good old boys. Uh, my graduating class was 125, 135, somewhere in there. And um, I, I definitely didn't fit in there, but uh, I think that was more because of the fact that I had no idea how to fit in. At this point, I was a high school student with no real understanding of how to connect with other people. Um, combine that with uh, anxiety that started somewhere around six or seven years old. I remember cringing over something for a long time and that feeling in my chest uh, continued my whole life. So um, from there, I, I dove into school. I, I couldn't even, you know, like even the rejects, you know, I use that in quotes. Um, I didn't really find a, a friend group in them either. I had one or two people that I hung out with um, and my uh, the one that I hung out with the most, I would call him my best friend in high school. He threw me a, a party for my um, my uh, going away party to go to college because without friends, I had nothing to do with schoolwork. So I did really well. Um, and uh, <clears throat> you know, it was the first time I drank uh, heavily. I got very drunk. Um, ended up uh, causing problems with the relationship with my friend there because I. I slept with his girlfriend. I threw up everywhere. I, you know, it was, it was a bad scene. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of my uh, addiction. Uh, so I went to college, joined the rugby team, learned how to drink, and I smoked a lot of pot. Um, flunked out in a year, just didn't go to class. And then I moved back to Florida because I didn't want to deal with the, with the snow. I was going to college in Connecticut. My dad still lived in Massachusetts. So I went down there um, and um, met somebody who introduced me to cocaine, uh, stayed with her for a few months. I kind of got wild and I got away from that. 
met who the woman that became my wife. We had three kids and uh, this is where I kind of started to become obsessive and compulsive. I won't say OCD, that's a, that's a specific diagnosis, but I was very obsessive about things and I was very compulsive in what I did, things that I bought, places that I went um, and all of that. And, um, and so I learned about, um, you know, my first kind of obsession was when I learned about buying houses for like no money down. I figured this trick out or a couple tricks out and I ended up buying 12 houses, working on them. So I had a job um, and I, and I was working on the houses at night, renting them out and built up quite a, a, a large sum of equity and money and all of that. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, and then I went to work for myself at home. And when I did that, uh, the obsessiveness really, the obsessions really kicked in. So I started working for myself, which was 30, 40, 50 hours a week. I was playing poker professionally um, to support my family because I was building a business from home. And uh, this was in like 2005 when, you know, home working from home uh, remotely was not really a thing. Um, and uh, I built it up pretty good because I was, I mean, I was obsessive about it and I was obsessive about the poker and I was obsessive about video games. So I would go into the office, have three screens and, uh, be in there for 12 to 15 hours a day, six days a week, totally disconnected and, uh, created separation in the marriage, which dissolved. It got a little toxic at the end. Um, like many, you know, people in their twenties, when they get divorced, it just gets nasty. Um, so I left and I was feeling awful. Like my whole life was shot. I thought, you know, I uh, 29 years old in 2007 <clears throat> or 31, whatever it was, uh, right around my Saturn return. And, um, my friend came over and dropped an ounce of cocaine on the table and said, this will make you feel better. And that started my real run with addiction. So that went on from about 2007 until about 2000, 2006 to about 2017. It was 11 years that uh, eventually, you know, it really got out of control until eventually I, uh, you know, I was going to AA. I was trying all kinds of things um, and nothing seemed to work. I wasn't, I didn't have an understanding of the 12 steps. I didn't know what I was doing. I just was trying to not use or trying to not drink. Um, it didn't work. I was in and out of jail and all that. Um, so uh, I heard on Joe Rogan's podcast, him talking about ayahuasca and that it might help with addiction. So I convinced my mom to put up some money uh, and I went to Soul Quest. And uh, immediately, um, about 45 days of no cravings, no need to use, no interest in anything. Um, the, the team there was amazing. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, Dr. Scott, um, Norrell, uh, and then some others that were just absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, Nishala and Anthony were there and, um, and some other people that were just, just, just amazing people. Um, so I went back to using because I thought like I was cured. And I didn't really do anything differently other than not use until eventually the addiction grabbed me again. And I used, went back, got some, got some relief again, went back to using. And so at this point I was out of money. I was out of resources. My mom's like, I'm not paying for it again. Like, no, it's not working. You're just going down there. It's just another drug. Um, uh, it wasn't exactly like that, but that's kind of the undertone, you know? So um, I kept calling the church. I kept calling Chris and I kept calling, um, various different people. Nishala is the one who took my calls mostly. And, uh, she, she connected me with Colleen, who's still there. Love Colleen. Um, she was there sitting my first retreat. And so was Nero. They were both sitting my first retreat, um, to do their inner work or whatever. And, uh, she says, listen, I have, at this point, she was a volunteer. I have several weekends that have been saved up and um, I'll give you one, but she said, quote, but you have to dive headfirst into a new way of life. And um, as an addict, I just, I'm going to say whatever I'm going to say to get whatever I want. And so I'm like, yes, yes, of course, of course, I'll definitely do that. Uh, and I went there with a the mindset of how to, 
dive into a new way of life uh, is it might have even been my attention for the weekend. I don't really remember, but I do remember the message that I got was to start volunteering. So I started volunteering there. And um, the first weekend I was there, there was this argument over who was going to do the buckets. Nobody wanted to do the buckets. And so I, knowing that I was just brand new there, was like, well, I know I can wash buckets. Like you guys have more important things to worry about I'll wash the buckets and then you don't have to worry about that. Any weekend I'm here, no matter how long I'm here, I will do the buckets. And so that was that. Nobody else did buckets. I got to do all the buckets. And in the beginning, it was like I was really happy that I was taking this pressure off of their shoulders. Then it sort of rode into this sort of just a thing that I did um, that I took for granted. And then eventually I really grew to love washing the buckets. Um, it's something that, uh, you know, is, is, is really amazing service. Like I really appreciated that I could do that for the guests. I could do that for the team. I could do that for the, well, for everybody else. They could just, I could just remove their, their stress. And, um, uh, so Carlos and I worked together washing those buckets a lot, but I, I did a quick count over that year. I washed about 10,000 buckets. Um, happily so. I mean, I built this uh, French drain because we were just kind of dumping into the into the uh, woods and I wanted to, I made an altar with a French drain with like plants around it so we could dump it in there and then it was all going back in one place. We could cleanse one space and um, you know, really like it was important to me. So um, uh, from there, I, 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 I was there every weekend. Eventually they started paying me $200. And uh, I would show up on Thursday midday and I would work until Monday late afternoon, setting up, tearing down, washing, uh, cleaning, making beds, carrying the mats everywhere, setting up the, the, the ceremony tent, setting up the ceremony space. So I'm making sure we had uh, driving back and forth. I was doing all these different things and happily so for $200. It's, I spent about $100 in gas and about $100 on food those days. So it was really, it was it ended up being like service work that sort of my expenses were covered. And I was, and I was happy with that. I could go home, drive Uber for a few days, pay my bills and, and go back. Excuse me. So um, then uh, eventually I was, you know, I was a significant part of the team. I was kind of, you know, one of the leaders at, at, at the church after a year, because I was doing so much and I never stopped. I mean, I was where I worked a lot. I was in every ceremony, all three. I was cleaning up. To, I was still doing the buckets. I was doing all this, rearranging the the shed, which always got wrecked and everything like that. Um, so uh, I asked for a raise, and Chris says, "Okay, here's some work to do. Here's some pay for this work. We're going on vacation. We'll come back, and we'll talk about it when I get back." Well my whole support system and my reason for showing up disintegrated for three weeks. I had no, I had no, nobody to talk to um, except for my old life where I was using. So I went back and I relapsed and um, because of it, they, they let me go. And um, we can look at that decision like, okay, this is somebody who helped the church. We should help them. Um, that's one way to look at it. But when they let me go, I mean, they did it in a very loving way. Um, it was firm, but it was loving. Like they wanted me to get better. And they said, you can come and sit with the medicine. Like you worked here for long enough to come and sit with the medicine. We can't have you on the team. Not, not, if, not if you're actively using. So I was mad at the time for sure. But when I look back on it, it wasn't a bad decision. Um, was it rooted in kindness? Maybe. Um, was it the right decision for me? It definitely was. Um, and it was done with love. I mean, there was, the whole team was there. There were tears shed and, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's what led me here. So I left there, went back to Ubering. I was basically staying sober, um, just on will and white knuckles. And uh, my son at the time was going to school in Boston. So I drove up to Boston for Thanksgiving and, um, just because of circumstance, I had some people that knew that I worked around medicine and asked me if I could give them some psilocybin and basically trips it for them. It was a ceremony, but I'm not a medicine man. So I don't know how that mixes, but I gave them some medicine. They took it. I made sure they were okay. And then I helped them work through some of their integration the next day. 
Oh, it was a beautiful ceremony. I thought it was going to be four or five people. It was 12. Um, and uh, it was beautiful. It was, it was really beautiful. Um, so I went back home. And the day that I got home in Florida, I got a phone call from somebody who I met at my very first ayahuasca ceremony at SoulQuest. And he says, hey, I just got back from Peru. I was studying with Mama Rosa for the last six months. She taught me how to brew. She taught me how to serve. She taught me Icaros. Um, she taught me how to hold this container. I worked right with her for this entire time. Um, and I want to serve some medicine, uh, but I don't know how to organize. Can you do it? And I said, I don't, I don't know how to do that. And I don't really want to get involved. Um, I'm afraid of law. I'm afraid of all of these problems. And he just kept asking and asking and asking. And eventually I said, fine, like I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, I wasn't really running on very much money. Um, but I found five people to pay us $350 for the weekend. Uh, a sixth one came along with one of them. And I was back at that place where we had this mushroom night, we'll call it. Um, now, I was used to Soul Quest, right? Where they have these nice mats and where they have these nice buckets and they have everything is clean and there's a team and all this stuff. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I show up there and we're on like basically the floor of a dusty dance hall in a arts and wellness center this kind of community living um group of artists and musicians and and whatnot um with couch cushions that are wrapped in sheets so that they have mats i mean one of them is, you know what a papasan is one of those round chairs yeah th that was laid flat on the ground somebody was like curled up on it like a puppy it was uh you know it was it was not what i wanted to provide it was not to the standards that I have for comfort, safety, for comfort, really. We were safe, but the comfort was, it was just, it was dusty and it was like on the floor. It was not what I wanted. And, and I walked into the meeting with the owner of the place and the person serving medicine with my head down, feeling like I failed. I mean, you know, we had like five cans of uh, Amy's soup for lunch, like, like, you know, we poured it into a pot, heated it up and gave some vegetables and some, some canned soup um, for lunch, you know, and um, it was just not what I wanted to produce at all. Um, and I thought they were going to be like, yeah, that didn't go well. I didn't think it went well at all. And they both were like, this was great. We got to do it again. And I said, you're out of your mind. Um, let me think about it. Uh, so uh, thankfully, we had five more than five we had six people show up if all five people hadn't shown up i wouldn't have been able to get home because i spent my last 150 dollars to get a one-way flight up to new hampshire trusting that the people would show up so that i could have enough money to buy a flight to go back home um so we tried it again and somehow from florida some guy just some dude got found people to come to a ceremony in new hampshire that I didn't live in um, from 1300 miles away on the phone, like no idea how this happened. Um, I still don't know. Like I would know I was calling people. I don't remember how I found them. I don't remember at all. Um, not specifically. I know I was kind of on um, meetup and, and looking on Facebook and just kind of sc scourging the internet for people. Uh, so um that one we had like 12 people and the third one we had 17 were full um and so the next one thing led to another we started doing two a month i moved up to new hampshire into this place into this community eventually uh you know eventually um we started doing pretty well we moved outside we had bigger ceremonies 25 people um and, uh, you know, one thing led to another. Now, the person that called me, who I considered my partner at the time, he went off and, and started serving medicine for somebody else. And we had another medicine carrier come in um, and we outgrew that place. So I moved to a new place. And uh, from there, we started to have them every week or three weeks out of four um, with 15 people. Then we had to add on to this rental property. We had to close in a garage, make another, another room that was attached. And, um, eventually we moved outside into a tent and, and we started doing three or four weekends a month at like 35 people. Um, and, uh, I found myself in a place where I did not know how to actually operate a company at all. Cause I went from like getting a few people to come to a retreat to handling 
100 to 150 people a month. Um, uh, you know, all, the website, the, the all of the business stuff, the money, dealing with that kind of that amount of money, managing teams. I never manage a team of anything, marketing and um, just integration and uh, training people and finding medicine carriers and trying to figure out how to avoid, you know, prosecution, the DEA coming to the house, like all of this stuff. And, and I was overloaded and eventually um, it got too much. That anxiety that I'd had since I was seven was so extreme that I relapsed again in December of 2021, where I uh, drove my car, my truck into a, uh, into a tree and totaled it. Um, you know, I did, was unharmed, but my, my car was totaled. Um, everybody knew about it. And I had a whole mass exodus of the team. And I was, I lost a lot of respect with, with a lot of people. Slowly, I built it back up and I started like actually coming back together. And um, my mom died in June of 2022. And that instantly put me back uh, into the depths of my addiction. And it was, um, it's a progressive disease, whether you're, you're drinking or, or using or not. And so um, it was a really dark hole. It was very, very dark. It was, it was terrifying. Um, and then the state stepped in and issued an injunction because of um, some zoning and planning board issues uh, with the town. So we had to shut down and because of my mismanagement, um, that put us in the red for about like, I don't know, 70 or $80,000 because of mismanagement, because I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. So um, that was a gift though, because God gave me this time to get sober. So I immediately checked myself into a 30 day rehab to get some education on the 12 steps and start working through the 12 steps. And, um, and then I had the option to go into sober living, um, but I chose to go into another 60 day treatment an outpatient treatment um where i got a lot more education on my disease and what you know what's causing it and all of that um and then i went into sober living where i found myself now so looking back um i didn't realize it at the time but when i was taking ayahuasca and i stopped taking ayahuasca after i relapsed um i wasn't clean uh, I wasn't in ceremony. I was really like barely being a part of, I was running the business as best I could. And, but I was uh, dirty, you know, I just didn't want to bring that around the medicine. So I, I had a team on the field, but I was, I was staying away from ceremony. It was the right thing to do, I think. Um, and I stopped taking the medicine because I didn't feel like it was respectful to take the medicine if I had cocaine in my system from like, cause it stays in your system for a week or two. Um, and uh, I was afraid of the medicine too at that point. So, um, but what I realized before that, when I was taking it regularly, I was in ceremony and I was working with the medicine regularly is um, I was using the medicine improperly. I was using it to feel better. I wasn't using it to grow. I wasn't doing the homework that the medicine continued to tell me to do. Do yoga, do breath work, work with hafe journal, meditate, write your gratitude practice, read, improve yourself, self-care, take care of yourself, go to the doctor, you have something, you know, something's hurting in your stomach. I mean, I ended up having to have emergency surgery because my gallbladder was all um, out of whack. It was, it was some stones in it. I had to have it removed. Um, but my, that was hurting me for a while. You know, I was not taking care of myself at all. I knew how to tell people what to do, but I didn't know how to do it myself. So um, I found myself in a position where I was sick. The medicine could not fix what I was sick with if I wouldn't give the medicine the tools, which was my involvement. So I wasn't integrating and um, I was using it to kind of, you know, but, but I, but I stopped getting messages except for you can't do this alone and do yoga. Like, like she, it was almost like this kind of afterthought, like here. And it was just this like uncomfortable experience. You can't do this alone, do yoga, you know, and like almost like swatting me away when I look back on it, because I just, 
I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I didn't know it at the time. I, you know, it's not like I was doing this with intention. Um, because, uh, you know, I was surrounded by so many people telling me how wonderful my words were and how much they loved me and how much they appreciated me. Um, but, but like inside I was rotten, you know, I was just eaten up with anxiety, depression and my, all my traumas that I just wasn't doing the shadow work for. Um, so, uh, you know, now I'm doing that work. That work looks like the 12 steps right now. Um, I've decided to take a year and uh, live life on life's terms, as they say in the rooms, and, um, you know, stay in this plane of existence, very, very, uh, you know, clear-minded, and work on my shadow work deeply before I go back to the medicine. So I'm about almost six months in, almost six months so far. And um, the gifts of sobriety came extremely quickly for me um you know i was uh you know minus seventy eighty thousand dollars with a lot of people that wanted refunds and um now uh three people came forward one just gave me a check for let's just say a year's salary cash um to keep the sanctuary afloat and two others that are signing for a property for us to move into um hopefully five six weeks from now and um yeah we are um we're moving we're moving forward you know uh it looks like we're going to close pretty soon we're going to start making offers and close pretty soon yeah wow a uh, couple of questions so thank you for sharing so honestly about your journey and your personal struggles like i think that a lot of people assume that people they put people into this kind of pedestal who are serving medicine or space holders in you know in medicine space and i remember at the very beginning of my journey for me these people were perfect and i assume that they have all all everything figured out already but that's that's not the case and it's a good reminder you know just for all the listeners that we are all human beings and 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 even the teachers and the space holders are on their healing journey and um you know it's it's um it's really nice to be transparent about it and thank you for bringing the attention for the integration, because this is the like, I think the last, the, the one before you, the last episode, the previous episode, we also talked about it, that uh, with the addictions, especially a lot of people come to the ayahuasca with addictions. And a lot of people have very similar experience that you described that they have this four to six weeks of ayahuasca afterglow, you know, and there's no symptoms. Oh, I'm feeling great. And then, you know, it, that the old patterns, the behavior starts creeping back, coming back. And then, you know, going back to the medicine, as you said, not using it to grow, but just to go away from the discomfort, basically. And uh, that's what we do with the pharmaceuticals. So using the plant medicine the same way as we use a peel. And um, I think it's that's that's why it's good that we are talking about these things that people understand, you know, the difference and uh, and that we use this plan to grow and as you said this is a participatory process I always say to my clients that the medicine does her work and you have to do your work which is the bigger part of it and if you don't do that not much is going to change you know there is always some incredible miracles one out of a billion you know something but that's not normally what happens what what normally happens if people do not integrate if they don't do not have you know guidance for their shadow work a safe container supportive community all of those things that probably you will talk about then no then most likely they're going to relapse when they are under stress you know what you said when your mother died you know when you are under great stress you're most likely to revert into odd behavior if if you didn't go to the root of the problem and didn't do that type of shadow work that that you were talking about so i think this is so important you know to to understand for everybody that we 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 need to emphasize you know both parts and we are learning this you know through working with the medicine as well how to work with this medicine with her you know and i think that she really just brings up a lot of things to the surface for us to process and to 
look at and that's what most people want to avoid you know they want to change but they don't want to go through the discomfort go through the emotional release change their mind about you know fundamentally about certain things and uh, and and unfortunately i think that change is very radical so you are either too ready to give give up you know the old life or or you know or good luck holding on to right and and this is this is just a journey um how you know how how we are all walking walking our own path so for you in the end to create the church as I understand it was like an organic kind of process it was not like you know a lot of people have this so I sit with the ayahuasca and I had this download that I need to create this retreat center and something like that it was more like this natural unfolding of and you just you just went with it and 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 kind of this is where you are and where where are you right now and and how is it working in the United States in terms of you know legality and stuff like that so it's it's a it's a legal they say it's a legal gray area but it's two conflicting black and white areas uh the first amendment freedom of religion and the free exercise thereof coupled with the free exercise clause so that it's you know detailed what the free exercise thereof means um it's very very detailed um it's black and white uh not to mention the two cases that went to the supreme court uh you know substantiate our claims that this is a religious sacrament that it is our sacrament um so that's black and white. It's also black and white that it is a schedule one narcotic. DMT uh, is a schedule one, which according to the government scheduling system means that it is has a high likelihood of abuse and addiction with no medicinal value. Now, you know, we can agree or disagree with that. I disagree with that. Uh, but the fact is, is that's what it's scheduled. That's the law. So, um, they the DEA has come to my house you know I've had a conversation with them and I asked them that the you know like kindly go ahead and head out thank you for your information and um you know they really they didn't want me uh shipping large shipments of Shakruna uh from Peru is basically what it was they were confiscating my uh, my packages and um they had pictures of all kinds of stuff you know um and uh but they didn't prosecute me and I think that's for a couple of reasons. Number one, they know that it's not really a winning case for them. It's gonna be a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy, and a lot of resources. Um, they wanted me very badly to fill out their uh, exemption paperwork. Um, but as we're finding out now with the SoulQuest case, that's not a good idea because we're putting the jurisdiction of decision-making in the hands of the one agency in the government that is anti this molecule so uh when they handed me the exemption paperwork i told them i wasn't going to fill it out and they said you have to i said i don't have to do anything you know i don't have to do anything um you know if you're going to prosecute me go ahead but i'm not going to fill this out i'm not going to give you the power to make a decision for me this is a religion and you don't have theologians working for you. So you're not qualified to even determine whether or not I'm a religion or not. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they were fine. They were nice. You know, they were fine. They were, they were respectful. They didn't really like that. I was pushing back and standing up to them. Um, but I was doing it in a respectful manner. I wasn't rude. I wasn't, um, angry or, um, I know my rights, none of that, you know, I was having an open conversation with them. Um, and I have not heard from them since that was December of 2021. That was, uh, yeah, right before my relapse where I um, wrecked the truck, like right before it. Um, I haven't heard from them since. Right. So, okay. So that's, that's pretty good in terms of that there is this there is this opportunity then in the states that under a church that's what most people seem to be doing you know running these retreats and these events under you know making making it a church so what do you think about what is your perspective about how big 
the the ceremonies are because um you know just just how many people is in one ceremony and how many people how many facilitators are present how, how, how many uh, leaders you know or conductors of the ceremony do you do you think that is there a limit is there a limit for you and you say this is the biggest group that i'm doing or or how does that work so very early on i saw what chris young was doing and um, I worked in ceremonies between 25 and 40 down there. This was back in whatever, 2017, 2018, right? Um, and uh, <clears throat> I loved that size group. We had plenty of people there, um, you know, one to about every six or seven person, like that, you know, and um, plus somebody else to do the cooking, somebody else to do the cleaning, like one to every six or seven in ceremony. Um, and that was more than we needed usually you know, a couple of really strong people, a couple of strong people, and then some volunteers. And that was, that was good. Um, along with the medicine carrier, shaman, whatever you want to call them, medicine carriers, the term that I use. So um, I wrote into my statement of beliefs that from day one, that 40 will never be broken, that we will have up to and no more than 40. And I did that uh, because I could see how 45 turns into 55 turns into 100. Um, now, you know, whether that's safe or not, well, they seem to be putting together pretty safe and pretty um, successful ceremonies. Uh, but I, in my view, this is my view, the magic starts to get diluted because with 40, and 40 is pushing it, like 40 is pushing it, I believe. But with 40, as long as we have activities throughout the day and we have um, what we do is we have a guardian that's kind of assigned to uh, 10 people. So we have four guardians um, and then we have guardian helpers and we have volunteers. Right. So the guardians are assigned to like 10 people. That's where they're going to sit in ceremony. That's where that's their go to person for like the immediate integration stuff. And that guardian is going to spend time with those 10 people, seek them out throughout the weekend, develop relationships with them. Um, uh, because as we talked about, it's not just about ceremony, right? Um, and so uh, 25 to 40 is this magic happens because there's enough people where you can hear your parts of your story from other people. Um, but it's not too big where you get swallowed up or where wallflowers can kind of hide, you know? Um, I don't want anybody to just be able to hide um because i think that if they are somebody who's kind of a wallflower coming out of that shell and actually you know in, in integrating themselves into a group and in opening up and being vulnerable is a key part um with 100 people like i don't i don't see the efficacy there um again my opinion my opinion that uh, it's beautiful and he's helping thousands of people down there and that's beautiful i mean there's so many ways yeah we are all you know that's why we are talking about it definitely i think the ratio is what is also super important of facilitators and people so as you said you have you know one facilitator to every uh, six uh, approximately six person and plus extra staff volunteers who are cleaning and cooking and all that kind of stuff you know which is is very important and you know it's great that you do it this way so um how long the retreats are and then after the retreat is there any integration that you provide or you recommend do you have any follow-up like long term with people if people come to you on a regular basis do you have any limit and say hey go and integrate and don't don't drink anymore for a while so what what's your view on these things our retreats are Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because it fits in with the American lifestyle right now. Um, we are going to offer longer ones, um, you know, week long uh, retreats and sometimes and, and we have ideas to offer month long retreats where they can come and stay and be a part of a working part of the church while they're there. Um, uh, you know, and then there'll be people, there'll be medicine carriers that come in each weekend and they'll sit with all of them. Um, as far as our integration goes, we have a um, doctor of psychology 
Um, she is amazing. She actually trains clinical psychologists after they're done with their graduate work at um, Ivy League schools. She's tremendously um, talented and very wise. She also works with energy, so she's not locked into this like left brain way of thinking in terms of how the mind works. She's very tuned in energetically, and she's studying right now her um, continuing education this whole year. It's a very, it's an expensive um, course. I'm, I'm paying for it um, uh, for a psychedelic psychotherapy with um, doctors and um, with, you know, the, the whole emerging field. Uh, she's studying deeply about that. So um, I host a, a integration call every Tuesday night from seven to nine. It's open to everybody in the community, not just Pachamama Sanctuary. Anybody can come. Um, uh, it's just uh, a couple of rules, closed container and no crosstalk. Be kind. That's about it. You know, um, so uh, beyond that, uh, up until I came in here, one of the things that was weighing me down was I was giving everybody that came through my direct cell phone number. So about 2000 members that we have all have my direct cell phone number. And so I was getting calls all the time. Um, it was not sustainable. It was not healthy. But I, but I was doing it. And so um, now we're creating new um, new ways for that. We're going to have office hours and then we're going to have like we're going to put up the numbers for like Fireside and some other uh, resources for people to reach out if they're having crisis overnight, uh, as well as a series of videos. They're going to be like grounding videos. Um, I just hit the three week wall. What now? These things like this so that people can access them um, immediately if they're having a difficulty. Um, that's, I mean, so common, that three-week wall is so common. Um, and uh, on top of that, uh, Suzanne is building uh, an entire integration program that what we're going to do is we're going to have several coaches talking about several different subjects. So uh, I'll do like 15 videos, she'll do 15, and we'll have this whole integration program that we're going to give to everybody that comes for the first month and then Hopefully they've soaked up all the information and they'll come with, uh, you know, study materials and all that kind of stuff with all these videos um, that they'll have a good base for what they need. Um, after that, it'll become a, a subscription. And instead of um, charging out the ear, like a lot of places, it's going to be like 40 bucks a month. It's going to be cheap. It's going to come with more uh, integration calls and all of that. Um and uh, I'm hoping that it is not going to be branded as uh, Pachamama Sanctuary. It's uh, going to be branded as ayahuascacoaches.com. I, I own that domain. And um, I'm hoping that we can like give that away to all a bunch of a bunch of other places that uh, don't have an integration program. Um, so it's designed by psychologists that studied in psychedelic psychotherapy, going over all these videos, making sure they're in alignment with the messaging, teaching the medicine wheel so they can understand, is this, you know, star medicine, is this water medicine, is this fire medicine, am I need to throw in to mute something right now, or do I need to feel this right now? Um, and, uh, you know, teaching people tools. And, um, you know, if, if my, um, my dream happens, it's just, I'm just going to give it to all anybody who wants it anybody who wants it for a month, you know what I mean? So they can get the information. Um, yeah. Integration is extremely important to us. Um, this is, this is super exciting, you know, to hear about all this and, and, and yeah, just blessings on all of these projects. So do you think, is there such a thing as too much medicine and people getting hooked on the medicine or just drinking too much without integrating? Do you have any, limit you know for ceremonies for people to do or do you allow people to come like every week for ceremony like what, well how does that work um we, there's only been one person that i've allowed to come a whole bunch of weeks in a short period of time and she had a tremendous growth spurt and really took to it well um i think she came to six retreats in 15 weeks um but you know, and, and I have people that come back, uh, you know, a couple times in a row, like maybe a week on, two weeks off, a week on, two weeks off, because um, they're trying to push through something heavy like grief or addiction or some some trauma from war or something like that. Um, and in those cases, I make sure to be in regular communication with them 
Uh, and if they get to a point where they're not really grounded and they're too much on the condor, you know, they're too um, spread out in their view, um, I have them wait or I refund their money because, um, <clears throat> you know, it's important to know that like we 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 have to live in in the three D plane and and it can't be how we want it to be. We have to, um, you know, some people lose the ability to accept the world as it is sometimes and it's uncomfortable because you know things aren't like you know, look at the news for for five minutes and and you're like Ugh. you know i mean i still am but i also i also have grown uh, you know uh, able to accept and to you know um so when i see that i, I have people back off you know when they're now they're energy healing tarot star man and I, i'm like all right slow down so how is the decision making works in the pachamama sanctuary so when you decide for example about these things to 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 deny somebody to come to a ceremony or when you dis, uh, decide about your future programs and directions is there kind of a hierarchy and, and you are making the final? Is there some kind of council? Like, how, how does that work? So before I was doing it all myself. I was doing all the money, all the marketing, all of the uh, organizing, all of the execution, all of the operations, all of the hiring, all of the training, all of the integration. I was doing all of that. Um, so what, a, part, a big part of what led to my breakdown. Um, oops. oops. Oh, no. Oh. Sorry. Um, so um, basically, uh, once I was able to have some time away and step back and, you know, and see the forest, because I was, you know, I was on one tree, um, I realized that I needed to delegate a lot of this stuff. So in the past, I would go on intuition and usually my intuition was right. Um, thankfully, I, I, I have a very strong intuition. Um, so, uh, now I have brought on board, um, somebody who is an operations director. I'm the operations manager. So I will execute all the things that she tells me to do. She worked for a very large pharmaceutical company for almost 10 years in, in operations, uh, in the Northeast quadrant for, um, a major, a major, um, uh, <clears throat> pharmaceutical company. Um, and then um, I found Suzanne, who is a doctor in psychology. She is a harm reduction director. Um, I can't call her inter integration director because there's some issues with legality. Um, but she's she's the one, she's the go-to for that one. Um, we brought on uh, somebody who has spent quite a bit of time in the jungle, who is our cultural outreach director. And so she finds different tribes that need help and we funnel some of our profits to them. Um, also, she's the one who decides, I'm sorry. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, about giving back and, and tell, tell us a little more about that, that like who, how do you give back to the guardians of the medicine and who do you support and what kind of percentage of your income goes towards that? So right now we're in a big restructuring and I don't know what it looks like. Honestly, my my numbers were so messy. I just sent money to various different tribes, mostly Iwanawa tribe, because for some reason I have this deep, deep love for the Iwanawa tribe. I've never sat with them. Um, I actually got to speak with uh, Washi, a very, very um, funny situation. So she said, I, I said, do you have a translator? And I said, no okay i'll get one she got a translator and she translated the portuguese into spanish which i also don't speak <laughs> we had to have my son who was is majoring in, or was majoring in spanish at the time to be able to translate and um that worked out beautifully um really great uh speaking with washi she's one of the matriarchs down there um and uh there was uh, an issue i think with some flooding at the huni cooling and so i sent some money down for that and um uh one year uh because there there's uh, they didn't have a lot they don't have a lot down there at the Iwanawa. so i sent them a package of some uh, some ukuleles and musical instruments crayons and stuff like that for the kids um now that we have melissa we have a little bit better 
um, direction. She knows exactly this is these people need this, so let's hire them to dig a well, or they could use uh, a solar panel. Let's get them some electricity or whatever, um, and we're going to be able to direct it. Um, uh, I would I would guess it's probably going to be something like five percent of our our um, our net profits um, in the first couple of years because there's a lot of repairs that have to be done in the house. Um, but uh, that's that's going to be a evolving thing you know um what and is, then bringing yeah what is right? your vision what is your vision kind of for the next five to ten years what is that you would like to see you know in what direction would you like to see this expand and, and if you are looking for more people to come on board for this project like who, who do you're looking for <laughs> So right now, um, we are looking for one last person who wants to invest in some real estate. We need a very small amount to get our, get us over the over the hump. It'll be a secured loan. Um, so that would be nice. Uh, at this point, when we open, we will know we'll know our needs because we have uh, this board of directors, the operations director, the uh, cultural outreach, the harm reduction, and a, and a CFO that's managing the money. Um, so we make decisions together just to kind of wrap up that last part of the conversation. Um, this this year is going to be getting us running very smoothly, finding a new pastor for the Pachamama Sanctuary in New Hampshire. So I can take my my next project. Because um, right now I'm writing a book uh, that's going to be about my memoirs and the year between when I hit the tree and when we close on the property. Um, and I'll kind of flash back to my life. Um, from there, um, uh, once we have a new pastor and everything is running properly, I'm gonna go on a. Um, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk basically. I'm gonna go on uh, a walk from New Hampshire to California, which is about 4,500 miles. Um, I'm just gonna walk straight there. Pilgrimage is what I was looking for. Um, there I'm going to write my second book, which is going to be a tool for integration. Um, so it'll be about eight months. I'll be on the road and, uh, each one of those months will be dedicated to one portion of the eightfold path. So we'll dig deep into that. I'll invite people to come and walk and we'll record a bunch of, you know, walking conversations with different people that have, um, some insight into that portion of the eightfold path. I'll just invite them in. Um, and who knows, maybe Aaron Rodgers or somebody will come and join me for a little bit. Who knows? Um, uh, after that, uh, I think we're going to be building towards um, North Carolina is the dream. So um, I want to open kind of a headquarters in North Carolina, um, with a big piece of property where we can have, uh, you know, a community living there, growing food, um, kind of a contained community, uh, as well as, you know, a few hundred acres so that we can have large um medicine uh, family gatherings without medicine so like music yoga uh indigenous uh, wisdom sharing um bringing up a bunch of people from from south america some of the elders to teach us about their culture teach us that about their their, their tell us tell us their stories and all that kind of stuff um that's that's where i want to move to within about five years um the other thing that is really important to me is there's so many people that are struggling with the stuff that I struggled with for the last four years, you know, the, the legality, the money and managing this thing and, you know, like getting, getting, you know, you know, you know finding people and, and keeping the government off of their back uh, legally and all of that. So everything has been built so that once we find people that are in alignment to actually open um, <clears throat> the, uh, you know, their own, we'll train them and we'll open theirs and they can use our system and they can use our membership, which will protect uh, them and us in, in court. If, if anybody comes, if we have five, 10, 15, 20,000 members, it's going to be a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more solid when we, when, if we have to go against the government, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> it's kind of like washing a bucket on a much bigger scale. You know, the medicine carriers that love this work, get bogged down with the details of running the business. And it's very clear in the ayahuasca manifesto, it's very clear that people that are sitting behind the altar should not be sitting behind the desk. It's very clear. It causes an ego problem. 
you know, um, and the, I think we probably, have, I, I know I've seen it a lot. Um, you know, if a person is serving the medicine and also dealing with the money, first of all, you're bringing that stress into the ceremony, but also now you have control over all of these things. And, you know, ayahuasca exposes weaknesses and wounding and money, power, and sex. I mean, that's, those are the big three, you know, and if you got your hand in the cookie jar and you got your hand in the, in the ceremony with everybody telling you they love you and you, and, and, and you're controlling everything. So now you have the money, the money, the power, and then the people behind the, the altar, like the, the guests end up, you know, the, the, the new members, they, they end up like having this emotional connection and, and it, you know, in their mind becomes some kind of a romantic connection sometimes that they project. And um, now you have all three and that's really not a safe place. Right, absolutely. So, and in terms of your own healing journey, like, like, wh where are you now? And like, what is that you're learning at the moment in terms of what you said, coming from that place of total disconnection and separation? How, how could you describe your experience like nowadays compared to that? I mean, I'm still, I'm only, I'm, I'm not quite six months over, so I'm still kind of getting my feet. I'm, I'm still, you know, a toddler when it comes to um, that kind of stuff. However, being saturated in this community for the last six months has really helped me to learn how to make real genuine connections with people because I don't need anything from them and they don't need anything or, or expect anything. Either way, no expectations and no needs. We are just showing up and, and being supportive of one another. And so I found a community here. Um, not that I didn't have a community with Pachamama Sanctuary, I did, but being the leader of the community sort of has this degree of separation, right? Because everybody's looking to me for something, you know? Um, and I'm happy with that, you know? But that also, I, need, I needed a, a community. Now I have a community of people that they don't need anything or expect anything from me. So, it's do it's it's genuine friendships you know and we're, we're both the same we're all the same um so that's been extremely healing i've learned to actually i'm learning to develop you know real deep personal connections for the first time in my life i mean you heard my story you know um so that and uh coupled with doing the shadow work which is exactly what the 12 steps are do you know about the 12 steps or what they actually are yeah yeah i'm familiar with it yeah mm -hmm. um it's interesting like uh, tell us about that because a lot of the groups uh, a lot of rooms are against actually using psychedelics right because they say it's a drug so you go to some some rooms right so what what if they are fine with what are you doing or they are like okay that's your higher power and it's cool with us or how is that working um I don't care what they think. I'm not there to care what they think. I care that I get sober and I can learn about being sober from them, right? I believe that ayahuasca is extremely sobering. I believe that it does not take you outside of your mind like alcohol and drugs. It puts you deep inside your mind. It's the opposite effect of a, a drug um, does it alter the mind? I think that it does the opposite. I think my mind is altered through the lenses of uh, trauma. And it removes that alteration of ego and allows me to see clearly. Um, not everybody sees it that way, and that's okay. I don't, I'm not, I'm not here to convince them. But when I have real, you know, conversations with people, um, they don't change their mind in terms of they're gonna come and sit with the medicine, but they do change their minds in coming away from such a harsh resistance to it it being safe for uh, an addict or an alcoholic and when they bring up the i shouldn't be doing it it's not because they want to judge me it's because they they want they because they care about me right so it's easy to have a conversation with them um, and on top of that there's a bunch of people that are in these rooms uh that i that i've seen here that have come to my church and sat with ayahuasca yeah you know? I it's, it's it's growing definitely in those spaces as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what what would you say to somebody who is thinking about you know like answering the call of the ayahuasca now after like a couple of years of having some experience what do you think are most important things 
that you would want to communicate to people before you start, before they start? Know that you're called. Don't do it because it's a fad. Don't go along with your friends. You know, you got to know deep inside you that this medicine is calling you. You know, it's it's not, you know, if you're really, really interested in it and you, you really feel interested in it deeply, that's one thing. If your friends are doing it and you heard about it and you think it's cool because you heard it on Joe Rogan and you're going to tag along and see what this ayahuasca thing is about, like, don't go. <laughs> don't go. Don't go until you're called. Um, because, uh, you know, you got to be prepared. You got to be prepared. Um, it is, it's an intense experience looking at all of the things that you did wrong and, um, taking responsibility, uh, because it takes away the ability to justify and, um, that can be painful. So beautifully said. That's I think that's perfect. Thank you so much. We're going to share all your info in the description, pachamamasanctuary.org, your website, and people can find all the information and connect with you. I'm sure that we will you know, meet again and talk about like many other things in this field. And thank you so much for coming today and, and just have a wonderful journey and blessings on this project and on your path. So thank you, Derek. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you for everybody for listening and please uh, follow us and share this video and also go to avatarhealingarch.com to find out what we are cooking up next. And thank you for uh, being here with us today. So have a wonderful day. Big heart. <laughs>